We're going to be studying out of the book of Colossians chapter 4 and verses 2 through 6. Today we're going to be uh, talking about sharing God's Word, and, and that's what we're going to be studying this morning, and Paul's uh, direction as to how we should approach uh, non-believers and how we should, should pray. And my prayer today is that I'm able to just simply uh, repeat the accurate, accurately the, the truths that are written in this epistle by Paul and uh, to the people of Colossus. So if you follow along with me uh, in your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand, and we've got them marked, and you're welcome to take one with you if you don't have one, and uh, we just, we've got plenty of them. So just as a child uh, needs instruction in their early lives, so did the early believers in Christ. And for that matter, just as, as we need instruction as uh, believers today. Uh, for if we're to live a Christian life, we must understand the basic Christian doctrine. And uh, we've been taught so many times that accurately and the truth of that through Pastor Eddie and Nick and, and Arthur. Uh, there's got to be consistency also uh, in our walk and our talk, uh, in our lives and, and how we share the word uh, with people. And, Paul, uh, the author of this book, writes his letter to the Colossians to instruct them and to address the uh, problems experienced by some of the early uh, churches. And you'll re uh, probably recall that as we've studied in the past, members of the early churches were teaching that the observance of uh, Jewish rules uh, would help believers earn salvation. Uh, basically, that was... Uh, the first covenant when uh, Moses brought down those uh, Ten Commandments. Um, in Colossus, uh, there were also some teachings that Jesus was not a God, but a higher being, uh, the Greek uh, Gnostic approach, and that yes, there was a God, but there was too much more to all this. There was knowledge, and it could be attained through uh, intellectualism and understanding, and. Uh, Paul points out to the Colossians that it was specifically because of God's uh, and Christ's supremacy that he is divine, uh, that his death on the cross reconciles believers to their creator, and that the selfless act of being crucified for our sins uh, reconciles us with our creator. Uh, that is the new covenant in the Lord. His writings are valid today as they were 2,000 years ago. Just look around at the many cults that uh, deny the deity of Christ, some flat-out Satanists, and uh, moreover, the many traditional churches that have strayed uh, from the teachings of God's Word and abandoned the very basic principles of Christianity. These first chapters in Colossians, Paul uh, provides warning and instructions, uh, warnings against the false teachers and the agnostics, and he confirms the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is all we need, that we're, in fact, new men in, in Christ. Paul tells us as believers, our old self has died uh, with Christ, that our sins have been completely forgiven, and that we're no longer bound by the regulations of the law, and that we should not be judged by any man against that. Paul in chapter 3 provides us with holy rules uh, for living. He encourages us to set our mind on, on heavenly things and not earthly things. He instructs us to put to death those things of our earthly 
nature, our sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, slander, filthy language. There's plenty of all that around us today. You don't have to look very far for that. He tells us not to lie, uh, to put on a new self in the image of our Creator. He reminds us that God uh, has chosen us. Uh, we're the people, and we need to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and patience and, and gentleness. He tells us to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Most of all, he tells us we must love, uh, which binds us together in, in what is called a perfect unity. So to help align ourselves with these commands, in chapter 3, verse 16, God wants his word to dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish each other, as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts. He, he wants whatever we do to be in the name of Jesus, a giving thanks to God at all times. He, he gets more specific regarding our households. He instructs wives to submit as is fitting in the Lord. He tells husbands to love our wives like he, Jesus, loves the church. Uh, not to be harsh. He instructs our children uh, that they should obey their parents and, and fathers not to embitter their children. He tells us to work earnestly and serve the Lord, knowing all the while what our eternal reward will be with Him. He remind, reminds us also to treat workers fairly. and So also recall in 1 Samuel, Samuel uh, it addresses partial obedience to God's commands. And uh, if you're familiar with those passages, you'll remember that Saul uh, kind of, sort of, uh, complied with God's direction regarding the Amalekites uh, because of their attacking Israel. As they came up from Egypt, God ordered Saul to completely destroy them. Uh, their men, women, children, as well as all their possessions, their cattle, their sheep, their uh, donkeys, everything. And Saul did uh, destroy the people, but he spared the king, at least until he was confronted with his dis disobedience. And he also kept the animals as plunder, giving them to uh, his army. These half measures to God are not acceptable. And uh, while we as humans frequently fall short, uh, God's direction uh, to us uh, is very clear and, and really unyielding. So as it said in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, Samuel explains to Saul, uh, who, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And this is really true throughout uh, God's word for sure. Ambiguity uh, leads to confusion and an inability to comply fully as if I need another excuse to my already sinful nature. I, I don't need any ambiguity. I need to be uh, hearing the word clear. Uh, and all that needs to be conveyed clearly to me, as it probably does to you as well. And Paul instructs us in Colossians that whatever we do, we, we need to work at it with all of our heart. Uh, so today we're going to be studying uh, Colossians 4, uh, 2 through 6, and it reads, please follow with me in your Bibles. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying for us also that God would open us 
a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards those that are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with the salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So the text of uh, Colossians 4, 2 through 6, really is naturally in two parts. The first part, 2 through 4, is, uh, tells us how to pray and what to pray for in verses 5 through 6. The second part is directed on how we should uh, approach non-believers. So let's look first at, at, uh, at 4, 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in thanksgiving. So continually continue earnestly or, or devote. Uh, it means to dedicate, be sta uh, steadfast in this, and occupy yourself uh, in prayer. Be persistent. If we're truly devoted to our Savior, we'll be busy doing things supporting His principles and then His plans, and this devotion will be the reason uh, for our being, support, sur surpassing all the earthly things that we have and, and that surround us. Corinthians first, uh, 1 Corinthians 15.58 reads, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And what should we be devoted to? We need to be devoted to prayer. Uh, for prayer is the essential way in which we can communicate with God. It's an essential tool in, in knowing God and, and growing in Him. And like anything else, the more we pray, the better we get at it in terms of our ability to communicate with, with our Savior Christ. It also prepares us to do battle uh, against uh, the spiritual warfare that we're involved in. We had some great uh, videos uh, here in the last couple months about spiritual warfare that really touched me and just really identified very clearly what we're up against. And believe me, uh, the enemy is not an easy enemy. He's going to take every potential opportunity to get to you, to change you, to make you di uh, divert from your love for Christ. And when he he can do that when your mind strays. And, but if you're praying, if you're thinking of spiritual things, if you're loving the Lord, it's impossible uh, for him to, to break through. So it's so important that we uh, pray, and not just for requests that we have, and we do pray up here every Sunday for healing, and, but we also include requests, and we make those prayers known to God in our daily lives as well. But it's important, too, to uh, praise Him in our prayers and to demonstrate uh, and reaffirm our, our dependence on Him. We sang that beautiful song, Lord, I Need You, and truly we do uh, every minute, every hour, every day. So prayer, too, serves, as I said, a our primary weapon against the worldly temptation that surrounds us uh, and is bombarding us on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. If you turn on the TV, if you, whatever, 
uh, listen, read if you're on Facebook. God bless you, but <laughs> it's a problem, and you can see it, and you can you, you can see how easily uh, you know we become addicted, uh, so to say, on, uh, with those kinds of things. So prayer keeps us from that, and it uh, reestablishes and continues the establishment that we have in our communication with Christ, and we need to do that. Ephesians six seventeen. Uh, through 18 also talks about uh, putting on the full armor of God. And it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Paul in this verse also tells us to be vigilant. This means to be aware, to be watchful, to be clear-minded. The enemy is always looking for that opportunity to interrupt our communication with God. He's always looking for that opportunity to undermine our quest for holiness. This is what God has asked us to do. He wants us to be like Him. Now, can we ever be like Him? No. But He, he wants to see that in our heart, that desire in our heart. And uh, obviously uh, the enemy doesn't want that to happen. So he's going to try to interrupt that. So we must be constantly aware of, of that danger, and we need to guard against that. We need to guard our hearts against that. And we can do that through communicating with God. And prayer obviously allows us to do that, and it de denies the enemy the opportunity to, to get to us. And most importantly, when we pray, we need to be focused and alert and clear-minded and understanding of what we're coming to the Lord for. It's also said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So if you didn't think the end was near, uh, look around. It just seems to me like we're getting closer and closer. Uh, the, I don't know how many times the world has been on this little cliff looking over, but uh, with today's technology, it's a very, very big cliff, and we're at the edge of it. And, you know, we just pray uh, that God comes soon. And we pray, too, uh, that we'll be raptured up uh, when, when all that comes apart. But obviously, folks, I, I don't think I need to convince you, and I've been around for many, many years and led basically a, a life in which, yeah, there were wars and there were issues and there were problems, but, you know, the capabilities now through technology of the uh, weapons of war and, and the means in which people can be destroyed and cities can be destroyed and humanity can be destroyed is tremendous. And uh, so we need to pray. Uh, we need to pray for peace. We need to pray for uh, guidance for our leaders. But we also need to be prepared because if, in fact, it does come, we know where we want to be. And uh, so prayer allows us to, to reach out to God and communicate to Him about those issues, Lord. We also are told that we should uh, pray with, with thanksgiving in our hearts. Oh, my gosh. 
How much do we have to be thankful for, especially in this country? You look around, and I've had the opportunity to be in some third world countries over the years, and I mean, it is unbelievable uh, how many other societies live. And so we're, uh, while we're maybe on the precipice of a falling society, but believe me, folks, uh, there's a lot of places in this world that are much worse off than, than we are. And so we need to be thankful for the many things that, that we can uh, thank the Lord for. You know, even when times are bad, I mean, we can find things for which we must give thanks. Just look around. I mean, thank, thankfulness is not only pleasing to God, but it's also a reminder of, of what He has done for us. We, Sometimes, you know, we're down and we're feeling sorry for ourselves and we're, oh, poor me, and wow, wow, wow. What have you done for me lately? So when it comes to Jesus, though, there's, there's many, many examples. And, and while we're thankful for the many earthly things that we have, the many earthly blessings, our family, our friends, our church, our, the knowing God's faithfulness and, and meeting all of our needs, we, we most importantly are most thankful for his sacrifice and his salvation. For in the end, folks, that is going to be the closer. That's the deal, is that your belief in Christ, your surrender to him, is going to get you uh, to the place that we all want to be, and, and that's an eternal life and you know, with heaven, in heaven with the Lord. We pray our friends and family and many, many others will be there with us. Ephesians uh, 5, 19 through 20 further instructs us, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord with always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do that so regularly here and so beautifully uh, with our, this morning, uh, Kim and Nick. Cole and Gary, or as I like to refer them, two roses and a thorn, uh, <laughs> did a wonderful job. And it's just beautiful to hear that. But, you know, we give thanks. We, we tell the Lord we need him. Uh, and he wants to hear that. It's pleasing to him, and it's, it's pleasing to us to be able to do that. First Thessalonians 5, 17 through 18 says, Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you and Jesus Christ. So let's look at uh, Colossians 4.3, verses 4.3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open uh, to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. So uh, what does he mean here by God will open a door? And although Paul is in prison and he's awaiting trial and he doesn't pray that he'll get out of prison, he doesn't even ask the Colossians to pray that God will give him the grace to endure the hardships of what must have been a horrible existence in a, in a prison in Rome. Paul is not uh, participating in a, a pity party. He's not saying, poor me, poor me, and, or taking advantage of that opportunity while he's in prison to lay out to the Colossian believers how spiritual he is and all this suffering. His prayer request instead is focused on a totally other direction. And, and, and that's 
He's focused on being able to spread the gospel to unbelievers, even while he's in prison. And he wants to make Jesus known to them. Uh, Paul asked for prayer so that doors may be open for him. Not the prison door, but the door to one's unbeliever's mind that he'll hear the word of God and the truth of the, the Lord and the Spirit enters him. He also speaks uh, to the mysteries of Christ. And, and what are those mysteries? And you know, obviously the mystery is that the Son of God became a man, that he lived a life of poverty and love, that he died in the place of sinners, <coughs> though he himself was sinless, that he rose from the dead and he reigns in heaven, that the ungodly should be justified by his grace and their faith in him, and that God dwells, and Christ dwells in the hearts of believers. And he seals us for uh, the glory and the eternity with him. I mean, those are, to me, how did that happen? That's a mystery, you know, and that's only through God's uh, omnipotence and his ability to create the universe as we taught the young kids in VBS uh, this last week, but also to do the, those things are beyond our human understanding. Ephesians six nineteen says, pray for me, for whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel. Then Paul states in verse three, for which I am also in chains. Paul's attitude here, as I said, is amazing. He doesn't view his life as being wasted in prison. He's not thinking of all the cities which he could go to and you know, preach the gospel and the word. He sees himself as being placed in prison by God. So now he asks the Colossians to pray that God will give him an open door uh, and the opportunity uh, to, to preach the word right exactly where he is. And he feels he's in prison for one reason, preaching Jesus Christ and that God has opened up so many special opportunities for him to present the gospel of Christ. Wherever Paul is, he has one consuming passion to make Christ known. He's not praying that God will get him out of jail, although that would be an understandable and certainly warranted uh, prayer, but he rather wants to have the Colossians pray with him that he's gonna have opportunities while he's there to make Christ known to all those around him. And, in Colossians uh, 4, 4, he asked uh, that I may make, my, make it manifest as I ought to speak. Or stated in some other versions of the Bible, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. As a believer, you may feel that the message of the gospel is clear. You're a sinner. God died on the cross for your sins. He was raised from the dead. And if you believe that, you believe in him and you repent from your sins, you're saved. You got the ticket. You're on your way. That seems pretty clear to me. Uh, who wouldn't understand that? But uh, is there really a need to pray about that? Well, I'll tell you folks, if Paul realized the need to pray, the help, to have God help him preach the word or to spread the word, to give this gospel message. How much more do you think we need to pray about that? I know I do. I mean, I 
Most certainly do. Uh, it's a hard thing to do uh, in many cases. And we'll talk a little bit about how we, sh we should approach that. But uh, if for you, as for me, sometimes it's very difficult uh, to do that. And we need to pray earnestly about it. And God will lead us through that, I'm sure. He has me for sure. Paul's great concern was that the message would be presented to um, the people that he was going to be talking to about Christ and salvation in such a way that it was effective and it, uh, they heard it. And the effective presentation of God's, uh, the gospel message, as you can imagine, may have, uh, and you may have experienced, it, is not simply a matter of learning a few verses from the Bible and then just dumping them out on everybody you meet. It's, it's rather meeting the, a matter of being sensitive uh, to the people that we're with and sensitive to what God is, is doing in their lives so that we can present a gospel to them with the power of the Holy Spirit and in a way that God is both glorified and, and used to draw those people close to him, not to us, to him. And Paul wants to present the gospel clearly. He says, as I ought to speak, sometimes we may get a little robotic in when we present the gospel. But to do this as God wants us to, we must have that sensitivity uh, towards those who we're talking to. And I believe that's what Paul's talking about here. Not uh, just like with us, the, the problem is not Paul is unclear on the facts of our salvation and Jesus's divinity. He knew that, we know that. Uh, what he wanted was the ability to make the gospel clear to the people that he was in contact with, as we should as well. And his concern was to communicate the truth of Jesus Christ uh, to them through the power of the Spirit in a way in which they would get it. Paul desired uh, the believers of Colossus to be praying with him and about his clearness of the presentation of the gospel. And we too need to be praying uh, for ourselves and for one another about that because one of the things I, I pray for and I've heard many uh, pray for is, is that God will give us the courage and the boldness and the wisdom to present the truth of Christ as, as we're instructed in the Great Commission. But, but we like Paul uh, need to pray that we present it clearly and as we should. So. The message of salvation, the saving grace of Jesus is effective in reaching the people that we're talking to about this. Many of you have heard or seen uh, Ray Comfort. We've had a couple films through him and he's an evangelist that is amazing. And he has a video presentation that we watched here a couple years ago. And I recall it was about evolution and uh, Ray uh, confronts with his usual fourth uh, forthrightness and, and grace, these scholars and anthropologists and biologists and others about their scientific theory of evolution and their vehement intolerance for the theory of intellectual design of the universe and of all creation by our God and, and divine creator. Ray has such a clear, concise, inarguable message about that. And, his ability to drill down and confront uh, the great omissions uh, and gaps uh, in the leaps of species uh, through the evolutionary theory is both priceless and revealing. Uh, he's 
been blessed with the ability to do this in a way which leaves the unbeliever, frankly, questioning, questioning their own unbelief. And it's somewhat comical, but yet very profoundly revealing to see the reactions of some of these uh, evolutionary theorists and intellectuals as they're just dumbstruck when he said, well, how do we get from there to there? And there's no answer for it. And uh, there is no worldly answer for it. There is a godly answer for it because he created those things independent of each other. So it's an example of the power that God can give us and him, uh, the ability to communicate this gospel. But we need to, to, to pray for that. And we need to pray for that clarity and, and that wisdom to be able to do it effectively. Now that we're, we know that we're not all Ray Comfort, but simply you know, saying the words uh, of the gospel, you know, may reach out to many, but being discerning in our speech, and although we may touch fewer people, uh, we're going to increase the probability of being more effective in getting the message across. Uh, to test this, we just need to ask ourselves after we've had an opportunity to share the word and share the Lord with people, hey, did I make that clear? Was I clear to them? Did they understand it? Did, was it the truth spoken? And if you can answer those all in the affirmative, then you've done what God has desired you to do. Paul was not asking that they pray for what he ought to speak, but he was asking for prayer or praying in the way uh, for what how he should deliver that and the way in which he should speak. He was looking for the best point for him to pick up, pick them up and lead them to a conversation about Christ. Uh, he was looking for a way to break down the walls of unbelief and reach individuals with the Holy Gospel. Let's look at the last two verses in this study. Uh, verses four, uh, chapter four, verse five. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Redeem the time, or otherwise be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Walk in wisdom towards those that are outside. This is a reminder that we should conduct, or how we should uh, conduct our, our lives. Uh, we need to be hospitable and kind in our reaching out to the lost and outsiders obviously means the people that are not in the church and who are not Christians. And to the Jews, this term meant those that did not understand the law of God and where they were referred to as the Gentiles. In Ephesians chapter five, verse, uh, verses 15 through 17, it says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In the context here of wisdom uh, is knowing how to reach uh, different people without compromising our dedication and holiness with the Lord. It's knowing what to do when, the when conventional kinds of solutions don't work. It's, it's creativity, it's tact, it's thoughtfulness all of which we need to pray for. It's having a feel for the moment and having a heart for, for what people need. I'm not meaning to do this in a seeker-friendly kind of way, as many churches do, trying to be upbeat all the time. And 
it's just kind of ridiculous what some churches are doing to draw in believers. And, and that's not what God wants. God wants the truth of the word being spoken. He wants those words to be heard by people and in their heart to be changed. Not that they get a free meal, not that they get, you know, some kind of goodie points for doing whatever. Uh, he wants your heart. And we need to help people uh, lead, be led to uh, the Lord so they can give their heart. We need to discern through our observation and conversation how we can relate to those people and how we can carry those words. Uh, we're asked to walk wisely and importantly be a good witness in the way in which we conduct ourselves. In Micah 6, 8 it says, he has told you, old man, what is good, and what does not the Lord require of you, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Those are clear instructions. And believe it, folks, our unsaved loved ones and others uh, out there that are unbelievers, they watch us. They, observe our walk uh, before them. And the way we walk will either provide opportunities to open doors to present the gospel, or it may close people off because of our, our poor witness. This means living the life God has for us in a godly way. We need to be diligent and careful in our lifestyles and in our conduct. And because, you know, as I said, people are watching, many are watching, knowing that we're Christian. And, uh, people in the world do things that we don't or shouldn't do because if we take the wrong path, our testimony of salvation is really at stake with those unbelievers. We do not want to give them any excuse uh, to turn off the gospel of Christ because of offenses that we're committing in our lives. So we need to walk wisely. Uh, and this includes a broad area, not just in spiritual matters, but basic principle matters as well, or practical matters as well. It includes how we conduct our business affairs and how the way we go about our jobs. And uh, Paul says the, we should work hard with our own hands and that no one can criticize us as being lazy. Although I've been lazy sometimes. <laughs> it's also, <laughs> Includes being very careful in our financial dealings. Uh, if I incur debts that I can't pay, uh, how will that affect my testimony if people know that? We as believers must be honest and upright and transparent. We must be careful about how we act and how we conduct ourselves. And then us must be above a reproach. Uh, the unsaved around us I may not like our identification with Christ for whatever reasons, but they may not like our commitment to the word, but, but they shouldn't be able to say anything about our honesty, our integrity, our truthfulness, kindness, and thoughtfulness. We should be above question on all those and above reproach and all those things. And man, that's a tall order, isn't it? Uh, sometimes it's a challenge for me, and I know it is for you as well, especially in the uh, and the kindness and thoughtfulness part, it, it's, it's a, a little bit of a struggle at times for me. And yet the truth here is undeniable. Uh, if our lives are lived above reproach, this will give wisdom 
uh, to respond to each person with the opportunities and uh, provided through an up, upright life. We, if we don't walk wisely in these practical areas, we're undermining the many opportunities that we may have to share the gospel and do it effectively. And importantly, uh, an improper lifestyle or our poor, poor conduct becomes a barrier. And if that happens, a barrier to a believers accepting the message uh, of Christ, not just from me, but it can be worse. It can turn people off entirely as far as their openness to the message of the gospel and their savior. So we want to remove anything which was going to provide that opportunity for unbelievers to reject the testimony of Christ. And being able to do that is living in a righteous, upright way. And it's, it's hard, it's not an easy thing to do. There's so many opportunities out there. The enemy's always digging at us and trying to grab us. And uh, so it's a struggle, but we need to pray for it. We need to ask God to help us with that. And nothing is more disastrous to a believer in his efforts to witness than his own or her own accusing conscience, which just destroys confidence and effectiveness. If you're not leading that life, you know you're not leading that life. And so in your mind is, I'm not leading that life. I'm telling him to leave that life. I'm telling him to be safe. How does that work? So that's your conscience working on you, and it's probably our the worst thing that we can have, not just demonstrating that we're not following God's in a godly way, living in a godly way, but the fact that we know that and then we try to uh, convey the gospel to people and it, we don't do it because we know in our hearts that we're not living that life. And so we can't do that effectively. So our own conscience really is uh, the main problem <laughs> that we end up having if we, uh, you know, don't live that life that God wants us to live. So we must maintain that good conscience. And how do we do that? Uh, by living properly, by doing our best to live in a godly way. We know that there's only one that's perfect. Uh, and the standards here are set very high. I, I thank God for his forgiveness, uh, for his guiding path. I, I, I just think that or I or us would be but without that guidance and direction and example, the witness that Christ has provided for us to live. Paul here talks here, too, about redeeming the time. He says, after telling us to conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsider, Paul uh, adds redeeming the time and, time. and this expression carries the meaning of making the most of the opportunity, buying the opportunity. In short, it means don't waste time, don't squander the opportunity. Uh, Paul is saying we should make the most of all the time that God's given to us, but, uh, and we must do that in an effective way. We need to strive to build our lives around looking for these opportunities to provide or present Christ and seizing that time and using it wisely. And I, I see that in the trait of many of our brothers and sisters here. I, I pray I could be more like that. In the final verse of this uh, study, Paul says, Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Uh, pleasing speech should be uh, characterized uh, by believers. Uh, we need to be careful what we talk about. Paul 
speaks of gracious speech in Ephesians 4.29, which says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. If I'm always complaining about my job, about my boss, about politics, which is so easy to get into, and then I turn around and to either my coworkers or others that have just heard this rant, uh, and I talk to them about love and kindness of Christ, but my actions and my words don't align, okay? If I talked about things that are questionable or my conversation has been absorbed uh, with things of the world, I, I may be unknowingly, but, but certainly undermining my effectiveness as a witness for Christ. We must be careful that we don't destroy our opportunities uh, in these subtle and, and sometimes not so subtle ways. It's true, folks, we can nullify our effectiveness in presenting God's gospel by walking and speaking improperly before unbelievers and our effectiveness in making Christ known is not just simply to walk up to someone and hit them over the head with the gospel. Yes, the facts of the gospel must be heard if one is to be saved. They may, must be accepted, but continuing, uh, the, the continuing impact of our lives as a witness uh, to the unsaved must, must also be considered. We need to walk the talk. They should be able to see a difference in me, uh, in us, in the things that we talk about and the ways uh, I walk as a believer. Uh, some of us are in difficult workplaces and the language is corrupt and there's a lot of swearing and grumbling and complaining and dissatisfaction and gossip, but that is an opportunity for our walk in our language to stand out as, as different. People will see a difference in the way that you talk and in their presence. They will recognize that you don't grumble, that you don't gossip, that you don't run people down. They'll know uh, that you don't do those things. And believe me, you'll be recognized as being different. And I'm sure many of you have experienced that. I mean, over my lifetime, I've, I've tried earnestly to to quit using bad language. Uh, not that I haven't slipped uh, occasionally, but since God has changed my life, I actually have had people apologize to me for swearing, and I appreciate that, but honestly, I must say that I'm thankful they can't hear the unspoken words sometimes. <laughs> but God can do this in us, uh, and He does. It said here that a, a, a believer's speech is to be gracious, seasoned with salt. Unfortunately, I often fall short on the grace part, and I have been known to see, season my speech with vinegar, which is not very appealing. What does that mean, uh, seasoned with salt? And I take it to mean that uh, when we talk about Christ, about the Christian life, we should it should be true to His Word, obviously. Ultimately, we're relying on uh, God and His Spirit to stir one's belief. But our sharing that should also be tasteful. It should taste good. And when food is not salted to taste, it's bland. 
And people don't want to eat it. It's unappetizing. Our speech is not supposed to be like that. Our speech should be seasoned with salt. Salt gives flavor uh, to a meal, but it also keeps things for, from spoiling. And it's been used as that uh, in that capacity for centuries. So not only are, should our speech be flavorful, but the truth of the word should not be spoiled. It should remain unspoiled. It should be honest and truthful. The point here is simple. Each person is different. Each situation is different. The gospel is the same. And Christ is the same. But there's countless ways in which we can serve that meal. And we should seek wisdom uh, to be able to do that and seek wisdom as to how it should be seasoned. He goes on to say that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul goes on and Colossians 4, 6, to tell us that wisdom is necessary so that you may know how you should respond to each person. That enables us to be able to give the right answer at the right time. To do this, we need to be versed in the Word. <clears throat> it does not mean that you should be speaking in King's, King James English all the time, but that our speech should be consistent with the Word of God and the character of Christ. It should be natural for us to be able to talk about things in the Word. And that doesn't mean we can't talk about the Niners and the hunting and the cars and many of those things that surround our lives that we're enthusiastic about. We can do that and we should do that. But we also must be able to shift easily to biblical things uh, as the conversation warrants and the opportunities uh, present themselves. Some of my fondest memories of Ed, uh, Pastor Eddie's dad, was, are the conversations we had over the many years that we knew each other over many subjects and how easy he was to talk to. I considered him to be a good friend. And I think as those that, that knew him, he was a humble and, and spiritual guy. But when uh, talking with him, I never felt like I was being preached to uh, or being judged. He was never, bless you this, bless you that, or overly religious, pray tell. Uh, but often those conversations would lead us back to the, the Word and the truth of God's Word and the relevance in our life. So he had a quiet grace and was a true doer of the Word, and it came across that way uh, in his speech. And I really use him as a model in that respect to be able to draw conversations back to the Lord after talking about the Niners and cars and all the things that we talk about. I know that uh, many of us have had occasion when, we, when the opportunity arose to share the word and we walked away from doing it because we just didn't feel like we were ready. We didn't have the answer. We couldn't remember the verse. We were taken totally by surprise. And if we can go back and work through some of the things, those things and those situations, I'm, I'm sure we would handle them differently. I know I would. But the important thing here is for us to be ready. And how do we do that? We stay in the Word. For all the answers are there, they're just waiting to be revealed. And they are every time you open that book. We must be around fellow Christians. This is why we here at Calvary Chapel encourage fellowship and uh, being together and provide as many of those opportunities as we can to do that. Uh, we need each other. 
brothers and sisters, we need each other to hold each other accountable and to strengthen us, uh, to sharpen us. And as it states in Proverbs uh, 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and how true that is. If we don't know something that we're questioned about, we should say so. If we are prepared, we are much more likely to recognize and act on the opportunities around us. So to carry the truth of, of God's word to everyone and uh, to lead them to salvation uh, through the Holy Spirit and his power that he can do. Lord, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. It not only reveals the mysteries of life, Lord, but it's a guiding light for us as we live our lives and share the good news, the, the news of your saving grace, your forgiveness, the news of an opportunity of everlasting life with you, Lord. Let us continue to earnestly pray to look for open doors, to make our speech kind, loving, and with wisdom. Keep our path straight, Lord, so we're not as, to be a stumbling block uh, in our witness. We, we pray today for our boldness to reach out to the unbelieving world, Lord. We know this world is filled with great depravity. We, we pray we're prepared, forthright, sincere in our walk, Lord. We pray your spirit is with us every moment every hour, every day, let our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters here be a testament to you, Lord. We're in such need of your strength, for it's only through your strength that we can confront the evils in our lives and in the world, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for being in our lives, and we pray in your precious name. Amen.